Mulder, look, Colton plays by the book and you don't. They feel your methods, your theories are... Spooky. It's still real to me, damn it! Hey, what's up? My name's Noel, and I definitely did not kill and eat my girlfriend. Hi, and I'm Chelsea. I uh, will definitely kill and eat somebody if I don't get any good Star Wars tickets, which I have been struggling with this entire time. You bought Star Wars tickets, but they were for the wrong day. Well, they were for like a 10 p.m. showing on a Thursday, and I am old, and I can't do that. I feel you. I get that on a No, you don't. Level. No, you don't. You hang out late at night all the time. Barely. On the weekdays, I go to bed at like 9 Sometimes on the weekends I can stay up, but it kind of depends on if drugs and alcohol are involved. If they aren't, I'm fucking pissed the fuck out, but, you know, YOLO, I guess, or some, oh. whatever the kids say. Yeah, I I wish I could yellow, but nope, I can't. I, I wish I could yellow, but... <laughs> yellow? Is that how you say it? Is that how yeah. you eat? Yeah. Am I eating? You sound like the shitty fucking U.Dot Twitter page that tried to come up with a... Funny little catchphrase to put over the overpass this week. Is that week. not how you eat? Is that not, not how the kids eat? I'm going to yeet you out of this fucking conversation. Um, well, I hope you get tickets to Star Wars. I have not watched the preview for The Rise of Skywalker that came out recently that everyone's losing their shit over. Oh my god. As I burp. It's going to be... I'm so fucking excited. I love all the Star Wars. I'm like one of those people who sees it. And I'm like, that was the best movie ever. And then another one comes out. And I'm like, that was the best movie ever. And then everybody's like, these were commercial failures. And I'm like, I'm too dumb to know. Yeah. I mean, I did like a fucking two or three part roasting of The Last Jedi being the worst film to ever come out. So maybe don't listen to that. I don't know. I'm I I'm going to see it like no matter what. Like I'm a fucking consumer loser. I'm still going to see it, but will I enjoy it? Who knows? Who will fi- come to find out? We'll see. Yeah, I got it. I got a man. Hell I fucking yeah. got a the package has been secured. Yay! I found seats for the 10:30 showing on a Friday instead of a Thursday. You should tell me uh are there two seats near? Yeah, do you want me to buy them? Yeah, we buy them on Venmo, you. Yeah. Hi, welcome to Freaky Geeks where we just buy star wars tickets online no genuinely i was going to um and i just completely spaced it last night so so i will get six tickets less also you know what i fucking did today in celebration of buying star wars tickets and living in a world where we get these new movies constantly pumped out whether you think it's government regimented nonsense or you enjoy it as a little december good time um i fucking went to ulta today and Spent only $60 on, like, a whole entire brand new skincare regimen because, like, I woke up and was like, yo, 27 is slapping hard. Um, I have, like, hyperpigmentation on my cheek now, which I feel like came out of nowhere, um, which is, like, discoloration. And I'm becoming very aware of how I don't look like a child anymore. So I spent a lot of money on new skincare. Like, the the expensive (laughs) shit, like the AHAs and the BHAs and the hydraulic acid and the... You know, cool. Successfully switched. Uh, now we are now seeing Rise of Skywalker Friday, December twentieth, at ten thirty. I have bought six seats. They were twelve dollars a ticket. Okay, I will Venmo you. I will Venmo 
you shortly. Okay. But anyway, that's my me telling everybody to go take care of your skin because the worst time to wake up and realize that you haven't truly been taking care of your skin to the max abilities is when you're 27 years old and your job don't pay you enough money to care. So, yeah, working from home has really been shit and disastrous on my skincare routine because Mm -hmm. um, now I'm just used to being gross plus derby like i'll come home from derby practice i'm so tired and i'm like good night and i just go to bed and i wake up and that is you know i think that's a fucking war crime accumulation of the oils and sweat upon my skin might keep me young forever Uh uh-huh that's how that works um just glad i got over that childhood acne can't fucking relate i've got widow's peak coming in and fine lines and wrinkles and also blackheads i had to lift up a wrinkle in my forehead to pop a blackhead underneath it and you know that's where my life's at so what's a true horror kids are you wearing makeup right now no neither how's my skin look your skin has always looked fine your skin looks fine now no if you get close you'll see all the oh yeah well if you get really close i get like shit too all here these are covered in tiny little pimples that surround my face Huh? huh Do you see my nose, though? My nose is like a landmine of blackheads. If I just squeeze it, puss will come out. It's a fucking problem. The internet is a lie. I'm not as hot as I look. Thank God for good photographers and um, the blur tool. Uh, But anyway, speaking of true horrors in America, we're talking about something that I... spilled all over myself. (laughs) Great job. Trying to get the headphones out of the way. Great job. This sounds amazing. Also, I don't know if this is going to be better. We're trying to record on a different device before I have to drop another few hundred dollars on a processor. We did get a new mic, but it still didn't help, which means it's a computer issue, which means that it's going to be another fucking... I don't know! I am covered in soda, and this photo spilled onto the bean stain that was on my pants that I didn't notice until now. Well, you should take comfort in knowing that that's a zero-calorie drink, and there's no sugar in it, so it's not going to be sticky. Yeah, I can tell it has no calories, because it's kind of gross. How dare you? It's amazing. Um, it's not fucking bullshit ass LaCroix. It's fresco. I'm gonna put it back here behind the computer and everything. Okay, great. So I don't spill it. Here we go. And my pants are wet. And my shirt. Speaking of more horrors, <laughs> we are covering the Katrina Cannibal, which is something that I didn't even know about until like 72 hours ago. Full disclosure. Growing up in the MySpace era, I thought you were talking about a person when you said we were talking about Katrina Campbell. Ah! I was like, okay. Oh, shit. Pop off, queen. I mean, I get, I completely understand why you were confused. And I, uh, like, I almost wish it was, man. Yeah. Wow. What a time to be alive. That's how old we are. Like, Katrina Cannibal. Was she, like, Kiki Cannibal? She's like, Mellow Hollywood. (laughs) Bitch. What was your name? I know you had one. I didn't have one. Don't lie to me. I really didn't. It was just Chelsea. I feel But I did have a Team Edward. No, not Team Edward, Team Jacob. Oh, the truth comes out. I was Team Edward till I die, man. Team Team Jacob. Edward Edward's a putz. Team Edward forever. Class, age, vampire. I mean, what's what's better? Peacoats. I will destroy this podcast. (laughs) Edward was a chud. (laughs) Okay, says Jacob, who fucking physically abused Bella. So did Edward. Chewed her uterus open to get a baby out. I mean, he was performing medical procedure, uh-huh. as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, the Katrina Cannibal isn't about a MySpace scene kid as much as I wish it was. It's about 
potentially what could have been kind of a cannibalism murder, but for sure a necrophilia murder um, with this couple named Zach and Addie. Um, I found out about this murder during an October evening. Shout out to Andrea Pretty Macabre and Stephen King Simmons for putting a lot of, on that event. Stephen and his band wrote two songs, like murder ballads about this story because um, he went to NOLA and heard about it. And I was like, what the fuck? How did this completely go over my head? Um, because in the mainstream, you kind of heard like voodoo and cannibalism. But what we ended up finding out was something a little bit more on the lines of a traditional serial killer story where there are deeper roots. It's not as easily summed up and nefarious as voodoo in New Orleans and cannibalism. It's these deep embedded roots of trauma and PTSD and just abuse. So we ended up digging into a little bit more about who Zach Bowens was. Um, and Chelsea, feel free to start on the timeline. Yeah, so um, he was born May 15th in 1978 in Bakersfield, California. Um, similar to other serial killers or just murderers in general, he had a tumultuous home life. Uh, his parents were very unstable, and a lot of times his dad would have to travel from place to place to work, kind of pulling his wife and two sons around. Um, well, I know that they had even at a point gotten a VW van to just travel because it was easier, which I think that like growing up in a household like that, where you're kind of pulled across the country in a van as a child with like your semi-bohemian, but trying to be structured parents, which is ultimately why his parents split. Yeah. Like they kind of were butting head personalities. I just feel like, you know, all power to you if you live in a van, but I don't think you should be raising, like, two children, like, in just constant instability. Like, there's something to be said about growing up around, like, a group of people who, or, like, even having kids around to hang out with who help, like, mold you yeah. into a functioning person who understands social cues and norms versus this constant, like, having... Some people aren't bred for that. You know what I mean? Some people are. Like, I moved around a lot as a military brat, and I was able to, like, use that to develop a personality and be able to make friends easy when, like, my sister is the opposite of that, who the moving around so much made her become, like, kind of a recluse and uh, antisocial. And I think he definitely had that mix between him and his brother having to just live across the country the whole time. Yeah, and especially just being forced to be with your parents all the time and they don't get along. Mm -hmm. It kind of like messes with your ability to form relationships yourself because you can only really do what's modeled for you, especially if your only contact is with your parents all over the place in a van. Yeah. Um, but he did try to branch out when he was in high school. He tried to run for homecoming king. Uh, he ran on a platform of mandatory two-hour naps, so he's got my vote. So <laughs> it sounds like he was trying to be just like a general goofy kid, kind of like the heavy metal outcast who still is pretty fun to hang out. Mm -hmm. But surprisingly, when he didn't win, it crushed him so bad that he decided to leave high school, and this was like circa 1996, mm -hmm. and traveled with his mother going back into like that bounce around lifestyle and he went to like georgia florida and then eventually landed in louisiana 
And I know that, like, it was briefly brought up, and I I always, like, hate talking about it because I feel like everyone went through a little bit of bullying, but, like, they talked about him being bullied in high school. Like, he was attempting to be, like, a funny, like, class clown, but he was, like, 6'10", like, in a size 17 shoe. Like, he stuck the fuck out of a mm-hmm. crowd. And even though he was, like, trying to fit in and have fun, like whenever like even the slightest bit of embarrassment or defeat like came his way he just had to fucking go yeah he tried to do high school again but at the first sight of being an outcast he dropped out yeah and he took on like a more stoic demeanor instead of really trying hard to fit in um after his second dropout he kind of went like kind of built up a shell and just stayed inside of himself. He didn't really attempt to be social again after dropping out of high school for the second time. Yeah. Um, in the summer of 1996, he was selling liquor illegally on Bourbon Street, but I mean, who cares? And that's where he made like met his first wife, um, a exotic dancer named Lana. And eventually got her pregnant. The fun part of this, he was 18. She was 27. Yeah. And she initially didn't know that he was only 18 because like he was working when he landed in NOLA and decided like that's where he wanted to stay. He was working like kind of the bar scene, like slaying drinks on Bourbon Street and the French Quarter. And he was only, he was like under 18 and then eventually 18 while doing it. But she had no idea. She was a, yeah, like a 28 year old dancer. And she was also, like, kind of a bohemian herself. She was only temporarily in NOLA when they met um, because she was just bouncing all over the place um, dancing. She had, like, I think she was, like, adopted and then ended up wanting to just, like, branch out. And so, yeah, she was, like, making a living for herself being, like, a single lady dancing across America like a little gypsy. And um, when they met, they, like, headed off and she... Ended up leaving. She was only there temporarily with a friend traveling through. And he was relentless with trying to get her back. Like, relentless calling and harassing her. In, like, a romantic way. Like, I say harassing and that sounds horrible. But, like, just kind of, like, first love shit. Calling her, like, every hour to be like, hey, still thinking about you. You should come back. And eventually she did. And when she did... That's when she found out that he was, like, only 18 and their relationship got kind of weird because she was like, yo, I'm almost 30 years old. Like, what the fuck? Um, But at that time, she had found out that she was pregnant. And um, I know that she took off again and kind of gave him space and didn't initially tell him. It took her a minute to tell him that she was pregnant and gave him the option if he wanted to, like, be a father. And he was like, yeah, that sounds cool. But again, he's like a child. Um, and she's a grown-ass woman yeah. now trying to, like, fucking raise a child. Well, and she eventually got, like, she thought lying about his age was a super shitty thing to do, which it was. And, mm-hmm. you know, she ended up treating him like a kid because it kind of, like, broke down this vision that she had of this guy. And then suddenly he's a child. And she was so disappointed in him towards, like, when she actually gave birth to their son, Jackson, she waited a few weeks to tell him. Yeah. she had even given birth and she didn't even tell him. i think she had a friend call him and tell him and then but he was there within moments after finding out yeah and he kind of like changed her mind about him because he was a really good father he was absolutely devoted he was there he was doing his best um to you know show her that he was a good dad and eventually he kind of slowly broke her down to get married and he promised her health insurance which 
man, do I completely understand that. If there's anything that's going to get me back on the board of like pro marriage, it's free healthcare. Oh my God. If someone offered me like free healthcare right now, I would have to jump for it. I'd be like my face reconstructed on the inside mm-hmm. and uh, that's like $25,000. Yeah, man. I fucking feel you. So if anyone out there. I know so. it. If you want to marry me, just come with good health insurance and that's about it. I have little to nothing to offer, but man, is my dog good company. <laughs> but man, do I have an extensive DVD collection. Like, <laughs> who are DVDs, bitch? <laughs> I can burn you a CD. I can mm-hmm. burn you my favorite mix tape. I can just burn you. I can also just fire. burn you with fire. Uh, I am on the ball with my Star Wars ticket purchasing. That is true. She did do that. Everyone was almost sold out by the time I got to it. I had to click through like six different show times. I believe it, man. I I fucking believe it. There you go. So much like um, Lana having a new child and then also a a teen baby daddy and now husband. um, Was it, I might be remembering this incorrectly based off of like what happened first, but um Zach's brother gave him a call and he was like, yo, man, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like in the bar scene. And from what I can tell, Lana was still stripping, which like good for her, like getting that body back. Um, and Zach's brother was like, you guys need to like chill. Like you've got a family now. Like you need to get your shit together. I've been in the military. It's given me stability and financial security and healthcare. Like, just fucking do it, man. There are no wars. It's 2000. Like, we've got nothing to lose. And um, and this is where I'm not sure which came first. Zach commits to joining the military, um, obviously to help his family, but I'm not sure if it was before or after where Lena told him that she was pregnant again. So it was he joined the military after because his daughter Lily was born June 12th, 1999, and he decided to join the army and attended basic training in 2000 and i think he graduated from it in either october or november but it was very quick like yeah. with a brand new baby jumping right into the military yeah and like to be fair like i feel you like you know you're a child you just had two children with a grown-ass woman you both just are like slinging drinks on fucking the french quarter and shaking your boobs all around for dollar bills like that's not that's not an easy life. And when someone gives you like the enticement of like military does sound good. Like when you're on a struggle and I like no offense to people in the military, but like when you're on the struggle, that's where the military thrives. Like, you know, you know, a creepy thing is, and we'll probably get more into this later in the episode is his story is so similar to my sister, Jessica's story that down to like experience in combat. Yeah. Is whoosh. And that was like her thing. Like, I I swear that military recruiters and whatever, God bless them for it, but they prey on, especially at this time, they were like, we don't give a shit who we're getting, mm-hmm. but like getting them young is like the best. My sister joined when she was 17 mm-hmm. and they can like convince parents to sign kids over to the military. Yeah. And my sister Jess was like, I don't want to fucking go to college. I don't like being in high school. Mm-hmm. All I want to do is just party. Mm-hmm. And my parents were like, okay, if this is the first structured thing you're really taking to, fucking yeah. sign them off. Yeah. And it's, I mean, his dude's the same. Plus is like, could you imagine like someone lying to you about their age while you're dating them and then you find out they're like nine years younger and you're just like, fuck, I have a child. That yeah. would gross me out. Yeah, that would be tough. You're like, this person is barely legal, and I'm almost 30, and I just had a child. Like, what? 
Yeah. Like that is not, that's a tough spot to be in. But, um, so anyway, Zach joins the military and, um, nothing too bad at this point. It's 2000, you know, he's, he's getting that fucking, uh, health insurance, good pay. I think at this point he was stationed in Germany like and got the opportunities to travel around Europe, like Germany, Italy, Spain, France, um, just kind of like having a good time. Like really nothing too bad had happened at this point. Oh yeah. Joining the military, like I feel like, especially at this point, um, it was a fucking party. Like mm-hmm. right. I mean, in two thousand one he was deployed to Kosovo, um, and he served as a gunner, and that was his first time experiencing combat. And I think this was the slow beginning of him getting fucked up because it was bagging mass graves. And for the most part, in war, when you have the mass graves, you just kind of burn them because it's mm-hmm. cleaner. Yeah. And uh, there was one issue. Did you hear about the issue of the candy with the little girl? Yeah. yeah. Um, so he gives candy to a little girl and he finds out later that she was killed for interacting with him and other American soldiers. This is a huge turning point, again, in his attitude, um, where he goes back into his shell, where he yet again becomes stoic and distant. And at this time, Lana just stopped contacting him, mm-hmm. like, in the military. And yeah. he started to, like, really question the marriage because, like, he, he was a gunner. So he's like, I'm literally hanging out of a Humvee mm-hmm. with my head and chest exposed, killing people, and you're not even returning a fucking phone call. Yeah. And, like, imagine that shift, like... Going from you're in the military and it's a party, like for New Year's before he got deployed, um, they were in Paris trying to take pictures in front of the, um, what is that motherfucker called? What is that called? What, in Paris? Yeah. The, the fucking dumb building everyone was taking front of. Eiffel, Eiffel Tower. Tower. I'm so French <laughs> building. The Eiffel Tower. That's all they wanted to do. That's like, and then going from like that to... I'm now gunning down people and, you know, helping with mass graves. And then I try to be a human again. And then that person is killed for interacting with me. It's tough. And then to make matters worse. um, So he's back and forth here. He gets back on base in Germany and he's like pissed because Lana hasn't filled out the correct paperwork to um, move on base with the kids. Like, cause she's kind of low key been ghosting him this whole time. And um, also simultaneously, remember how I said he's like a 17 foot, um, well, foot size, shoe size 17. His feet could never properly fit into his combat boots. So he had like a fucked up foot situation. Yeah. So he wasn't even in the military. He wasn't even in Kosovo for an entire year before he had to get medical leave to go get surgery on his foot. And when he got home, he's got all this fucked up shit that happened in the war. And then him and Lan were fighting the entire time mm-hmm. like literally the entire time and then so um kind of in a hail mary to fix the relationship since she had kind of fucked up on the paperwork mm-hmm. he was like let's just all go to germany yeah he filled out and got the whole family to germany yeah and they were happy and then 9 11 happens and he is immediately shipped off to kuwait yeah and like i know that Lana didn't take the best to base. Like, military wives on base are kind of demons. And um, they had all known that she was a dancer. Like, because Zach wasn't afraid to show off his hot dancer wife to all of his military friends. But the people who didn't love that were all of the wives on base. So, like, she was... She enjoyed having, like, a little bit more stability and not having to work, really. But she had no friends. 
like she was kind of alienated for a long time yeah it wasn't like woke culture like it is now where people no. just don't care yeah if you dance for money yeah. um because it doesn't matter exactly but. and then 9-11 happened and like you said he was um immediately deployed yeah, and so he saw people burned to death and just lots of death in general, and he kind of started to joke about the deaths, which was, like, a huge thing that a lot of people brought up, but I don't think that that's not normal. Like, you hear about yeah. doctors, like, surgeons and stuff who joke about, like, trauma and things like that, too. I think mm-hmm. it's just, like, a coping mechanism. I didn't find that that weird, honestly. I don't find it weird, either. I joke about suicide all the time, and, like, I think it's a way to normalize it in my brain. Truly. So, like, I think that um, that's also a way that you can normalize seeing death and destruction constantly. Yeah. Um, Because it was like he had another situation happen similar to the little girl with the candy where he um, began, like, a friendship with an Iraqi family who owned a convenience store. And he was, like, teaching the kids English and they were, like, giving him, like, snacks and soda and um that was found out and their convenience store where they also lived above was bombed and there were no survivors and he knows that that was because they were seen um interacting with american soldiers yeah so um oh my god who was pre-isis al-qaeda yeah al-qaeda so uh when my sister was in um combat like similar things would happen, but Al Qaeda would send people who interacted out with the soldiers. Like when they would go on convoys, they would send them out into the middle of the road, and you can't stop on convoys. That's the nature of a convoy. So it was they would get orders that were just like proceed like through, and they would just have to run people over. Mm-hmm. And it would be like these little kids, or they would send out like parents to be like, okay, well, either you go or we'll send your kid out. So people would go stand in the road knowing that they're gonna die. And then the Americans are not wanting to fucking kill people, you know, but then they're having to drive through. And uh, it just makes you, like, incredibly disillusioned with the whole, like, you think you're the good guys, but you're not doing good things. Yeah. Well, I know that, like, specifically um, while he was in Iraq, Zach, like, started to detest the military. And there was, like, a whole entire group of, like, his, like, banded brothers that thought that what they were doing in Iraq was political and had nothing to do with the betterment of society or helping people. Yeah, because that's true. Absolutely. And he was pretty, like, vocal about that. And I know that um, him being vocal about not feeling comfortable with what they were doing in Iraq also turned his military experience from a positive one to a negative one, just as far as, like, leadership goes and the way that people were treating him in those leadership positions. Well, and his wife was so sick. She got fucking hepatitis C mm-hmm. while he was in, while he was deployed. And he also had so much foot pain. So they were like, okay, well you can go visit her, but you can only go for three days. But he's like, my wife is literally on her deathbed. Mm-hmm. And he was like sore all the time. And the yeah. military wasn't helping him. He could barely walk. And his wife was literally dying while also raising two toddlers at this point. And even her doctors were writing into his, like, um, command being like, hey, she could die at any moment. Please let him go. Let him help. Um, Her doctors even contacted the Red Cross, which made a whole fucking mess of the situation. So not only was he making, like, a tough time for himself 
by um, vocalizing that he thought what they were doing in Iraq was not okay. But he had a dying wife who they, I'm assuming, based off of, you know, kind of reading in between the lines here, they were punishing him, like speaking out about what they were doing Mm -hmm. by not allowing him leave to go help his literally dying wife. Um, And then when they got the Red Cross involved and made it more of a public issue, that just pissed him off even more. Yeah. And then um, it kind of came to a fever pitch. October 26, 2003, um, one of his really good friends, a fellow soldier, was killed in a mortar strike. And that death impacted him super hard. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you see a lot of these scenes where he goes back into a really stoic self. So by November, they actually let him return to his wife in Germany. She was feeling a lot better at this point, but physically he was in pain. He had really shitty breathing, tons of headache, tons of dry rash. They said that these were all side effects of PTSD um, at the time, but interjecting with what my sister had uh, when she got back from combat, also shitty breathing, lots of headaches, tons of dry rash, um, is exposure to burning bodies. Like, those mm. are also signs of, like, inhaling our fellow humans. Um, yeah. And then, uh, slowly he started to get reprimanded for not passing PT tests because he was sick, he had a bum mm. foot, and, uh... All of this ended up in him getting a general chapter 13 discharge, which is a really shitty discharge. It's nothing. Like, it's a dishonorable discharge it for literally, being Yeah, it unfit. literally is a dishonorable discharge. So any benefits that he could have gotten for himself or his family that the military swears they provide completely gone and he had one of his like commanders recommending an honorable discharge because he had no marks on his record for discipline he had climbed the ranks i think like the highest he got was like a sergeant at one point um even when he was in recovery he was doing like mechanic work like he was non-stop and they were like why wouldn't you give him an honorable discharge and then it just one dude came in and was like nope fuck you general so anything that he could have gotten as far as benefits and help go just completely out out the window and uh he kept all of this from lana yeah he didn't tell her didn't tell her a fucking thing yeah so he just like comes home one day and she's like what the fuck he's like i'm done yeah she straight up just left his ass in germany with the kids yeah she was like no fucking way man no fucking way did you just like drag my ass out here do all this hubbubaloo lie to me and then just show up and say, you're done and that's it. And we have nothing once again. Yeah. And so she jumped back on a plane and was like, we're fucking over. I'm finding a place in Louisiana again. Send the kids when I find it. Like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the time he got back to Louisiana to chase her down, she was already dating someone else. She was just fucking done with it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she was done the whole entire in- relationship. She was just kind of like doing it for the kids. Probably, yeah. And I don't know much about these discharges, if it's dishonorable. I don't know what the benefits are, but I would say he probably got no benefits. Yeah, they were. I was reading about how he didn't get, like, the guaranteed home loans, um, the what will help you get, like, jobs, like civilian jobs and um, medical. And um, there's, like, something else that you just don't. Not getting treated for PTSD is like it's she, like my sister got treated for PTSD and she was so fucked up when she came back from war. She would like drag me out of my bed and be like, get the fuck down and like throw me on the ground. And then she would just pull out of the house and my dad would like get up in his like tidy whities and like have to like 
go walk down our neighborhood with like a flashlight and get down and look under cars because she would just be like hiding under there in like full combat mode. So it's so crazy. And my sister got a fucking purple heart and she still couldn't find anything for mm-hmm. treatment. So yeah. I don't know what this dude like obviously nothing. Obviously it doesn't come out well. No but, one's coming out well. Uh but well he came home and he started a job in a bar called Hogs, solid name, where he <laughs> met Addie Hall. And um Addie was raised by a Vietnam vet and a stay at home mom. Um, she later disclosed to friends that she was um, sexually abused throughout her childhood pretty severely to the point where it ended up in hospitalizations. She dropped out of high school and jumped on the road to travel across the U.S., um, kind of more focused on art, dancing, and partying. She found herself working in bars in the French Quarter, and she was known for having a miserable fucking temper and a rough and expensive coke habit. Um, She was constantly getting into bar fights and was smashing bottles across people's faces. Um, Any second, any moment, she would just turn on someone. Um, Even her closest friends, like, if she was drinking, which was often, she was fighting. Yeah, and, um... When you hear, like, oh, yeah, people get fight, like, they're fighting, I always tend to think, like, oh, they're just getting mouthy, but she was notorious for, like, breaking bottles Mm -hmm. and trying to, like, kill people with them, Mm -hmm. throwing chairs, and would just fly off the handle over pretty much anything easily, and uh, she just wasn't, I don't know, she didn't really have the chance to ever be stable, because... A lot of our hospital visits of her being sexually abused were also, like, frequent UTI infections, mm-hmm. um, it, like, starting at age 12. So, yeah. she so she was born in 1976. By 2004 is when she started to go, was when she, like, landed in Louisiana. And then by August 2005, that's when she met Zach. Yeah. She never had a chance. And even before meeting Zach, everyone is like, all of her relationships are braided with addiction and physical abuse. Well, and even friends say that, like, oh, the biggest thing that they had in common, uh, Zach and Addie, was them binge drinking together. Hard. Well, probably not good for... I mean, she probably has, like, horrific PTSD, too. Yeah. I'm just gonna, I don't know, diagnose it now. Well, no, that's, like, definitely what... He had PTSD from the war, and she had PTSD from sexual abuse, and they both were self-medicating by binge drinking and... Just doing, like... Joe Montana levels of cocaine. Yeah, she was a Joe Montana level of cokehead. But so. Zach was fucking in her. Yeah. He, yeah, I mean, he finally got a girl who was, like, as into him as he wanted, you mm-hmm. know? And, yeah, like, I don't put any fault on his ex-wife because it just sound like, sounds like she was exacerbated the whole time. Yeah, she was bamboozled from the jump. Um, Probably shouldn't have, like, I don't know. You can't ever be like, probably shouldn't have had kids, but yeah, you can't put that on anybody. Yeah. She tried, I don't know. She gave it a college try on making it work. Yeah. Um, and to her benefit, she offered them a place to stay for Hurricane Katrina because she lived in a safer part of Louisiana, and him and Addie were like, nah, we'll just... Yeah, pastime by drinking so in our hotel. Or that in our is apartment. also the next part of the story is that Zach and Addie started dating weeks before Katrina happened. So there's kind of like two parts to their relationship. There's during Katrina and after Katrina. Mm-hmm. So during Katrina, the storm hits and they decide to stick it out. Um, they're in the French Quarter, which ends up being kind of unscathed by the... Um, by the hurricane, it still gets hit in some aspects, but 
It's, I think at some levels, like they said, like 5,000 feet above sea level, whereas the rest of Louisiana is like negative. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, oh, and they partied. It sounds kind of fun what they did because mm-hmm. they had, they were just basically camping yeah. in the French Quarter. And then she was like flashing her boobs. And so that gave her some like local notoriety with the cops because she was like slinging titties out at, mm-hmm. the, at the popo. And mm-hmm. they were like making cocktails for people in the yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. They were taking alcohol from the hog bar and that they both worked at and were just partying with the few other people who decided to stay behind. And the whole entire city had shut down. So it was literally just them. You kind of do whatever you want. It was apocalyptic in a lot of ways. And they were at the fun part of it. Where yeah. you realize you're the only ones. And you realize it's just a party. And all they were doing was drinking. And um, at this time, like a few news, um, like news sources were interviewing them because they were this like young cute couple who were sticking out the storm and Mm -hmm. kind of like being the cool kids on the block making cocktails and cooking up beans on the front porch for everyone in the neighborhood doing tons of cocaine like free booze for everybody i mean it sounds like if that would have just been all of it it sounds kind of fun and then during the kind of like end weeks of Dealing with Katrina, I think there were, like, a few things that happened that kind of turned everything sour. It went from, like, them kind of camping and having fun to, um, they were looting a local grocery store. Um, Zach was outside, Addie was inside, and she was attacked and almost assaulted again. And I think this definitely, like, triggered PTSD for her. Um, Zach was having a hard time with his own traumas now that, like, what they were calling city rot was starting to become more visible Mm -hmm. um visibly and through like sense sensory wise like they had made a friend during the katrina times and he was cooking hamburgers for them and a swarm of like these giant flesh-eating horseflies had just completely consumed the area like turning the sidewalk black and it it was very much like a this is no longer fun like this is kind of a war zone we're just getting hit by bible plagues now yeah straight up well, and um, he also just stopped paying child support. I think that he was just, he went back into like not really caring. Mm-hmm. And so Lana got so pissed off at him that she drove out to his apartment with Addie and just started banging on the door with a baseball bat. But he wasn't home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Addie was like reasonably terrified. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led to Zach and Lana's like next falling out because they just were fighting over child support. Yeah, they're fighting over child support. Addie, after Lana showed up and was like, what the fuck, kind of made it clear that she didn't want Lana around. And by default, that also meant the kids. Like, at first, she was kind of open to the kids being around. But then that meant that another bridge to be built with Lana, and she was not about it. And she seemed, like, civil, you know, when she wasn't fucked up. When she was fucked up, it was over. Like, at that point, it was, if you want to see your kids, you do it outside of my house and away from me. Yeah, and well, and Addy, like, he, so he would have to rent a hotel just to, like, see his kids. Yeah. And, I mean, it does sound like Lana was, like, okay, like, she was, like, meet my boyfriend, like, try to be in their lives, Mm -hmm. and he just wasn't about it, and Addy wasn't about it either. She was, um... I think they were in one of those toxic relationships where it's you, it's only you two, no one else. Yeah. Even even if that means his fucking kids, you know? Like, she literally could not handle it. She was so unstable and jealous that the thought of him spending any time that's not with her, like, no, 
Yeah, or even spending money that's not on her. That's probably like what happened with the child support. Oh, 100%. You know? And then he started to fall into kind of the same like path as that. Like he started to give up on his like family mm-hmm. and just wanted to focus on Addie. But their relationship, like obviously that's a big point of toxicity, but they were fighting constantly and horribly. Because they had, like, kind of just gotten into a relationship. This unbelievable tragedy happened that they... And there's something to be said about experiencing trauma and tragedy with someone, especially someone you're romantic with. You're kind of bonded. Like, you know, there's kind of this, like, unspoken attachment to each other. Because no one else knows what you went through. No one else can experience that. And I know that, like, for a lot of people who have dealt with that, it's something that keeps you in the relationship, even when you know that it's not okay or healthy and i definitely think that's what was happening here they were bonded in this tragedy and um despite the relationship rotting from the inside out they weren't giving it up Mm -hmm. and in 2006 so like a full year after katrina hit addy started working at the spotted cat which reunited her with the coke dealer that they had met during katrina Mm -hmm. so in addition to all of their binge drinking and fighting and now they're like have access back to like the party amounts of cocaine yeah and it got so bad between them that Addie was just beating the shit out of zach Mm -hmm. every time they would have a fight and um he did try to leave her he went to oregon to stay with his dad Mm -hmm. um but he came back to her and it was maybe like a month or two and they started fighting again yeah and she even pulled a gun on him yeah and she got arrested for it. Uh-huh. And, and he also got arrested for possession of marijuana. So it was like things were just slowly falling yeah, apart. They were, for him. Absolutely. And they were intertwined together, falling apart. Like he got arrested first for possession of marijuana, which he was like, he would have these brief moments of trying to be a dad again, even though Lana was like, I'm not trying to disappoint these kids some more. And he's like, no, I'm going to try. He gets arrested for possession and then shit falls off the rails again. Addie won't bail him out. Uh, Addie pulls a gun on him because she's fighting with him. Um, she takes off running. She's identified by a pedestrian. She goes to jail. He immediately bails her out. It's this whole fucking back and forth, constant fighting. Um, and straight up violence just straight up violence um and but they were both still intertwined in that party scene they were both back serving um and being around like the bar district of the french quarter so and there's something to be said even about the service industry when you are like a bartender Mm -hmm. or working in a club um that you not only are you exposed to more but you're more likely to partake just because it's like it helps you get through so their whole entire lives were consumed with just drinking and drugs drinking and drugs drinking and drugs Mm -hmm. and uh at one point though he did cheat on addy with another man yeah So there was always this thread that went throughout Zach's story where, like, both sexes were always into him. All genders, I should say, were always all into him. Everyone was into him in, like, his weird way. Like, because he's kind of stuck out. And when you get older, I think that individuality becomes, like, a cool thing where it used to make him feel uncomfortable in high school. As an adult, it makes you kind of the most attractive Like, well, he's a tall ex um army dude who works in the bars in a party scene and he's handsome like he's like they're both like really good looking people but he's like especially handsome yeah and um the hog bar grew popularity for being like the 
after spot for the gay clubs and like um drag queens would hang out there and then when the fighting got really bad zach started hanging out at gay bars to escape Addie because he knew that like she would that would be the last place she would look and like there were kind of moments of friends bringing up Addie using like homosexual slurs and i want to say um i think part of it was the time you know what i mean that was like Mm -hmm. 2005 2006 where no one really like understood the impact that saying the f word was to someone yeah um but i also think that Addie was kind of a fucking bitch uh kind of a bigoted bitch absolutely and she called all of his friends and she was like zach's gay and he has aids yeah and just trying to ostracize him from everybody and um and then despite all this fighting, they choose to move in together yeah. um, over the voodoo shop. And so I is- think this was like a culmination of things. Because like Zach started dating a guy that he met at a gay bar he was hiding out at. Um, it was kept a secret by like his friends. And then eventually Addie found out. She flipped out worse than ever before. Called everyone in his phone saying that he had AIDS and deleted all their numbers. And she was on her own bender because like he had kind of stepped away. He was in this other yeah. relationship, kind of enjoying his life. And she was fucking going off the rails. She was in so much debt with dealers at this point. Um, when all of this happened where he was kind of like stepping out and getting saved yeah. by this new relationship, she found out about it and it just set the fire to the already like off the tracks train of bullshit. She was on, um, and for whatever reason, I think, honestly, it was just her begging because she had no other way. She had no home. She had no funds. He was kind of on the house, like, couch surfing every now and then and wanted a little bit of stability that he was like, you know what? Like, let's just, this is the last Hail Mary. Let's try again. And yeah. that's where they got that apartment. And he was abused. Like, how many times do people go back to their abuser just yeah. because it's something that they know? It's comfortable. And I... I mean, probably the trauma or, like, just even the, like, identity crisis that comes maybe when you're with someone of the same sex for the first time. Mm-hmm. It was, maybe could have been too much for him to handle in addition to the PTSD and with her constantly, constantly, constantly yeah. hounding him. Yeah. Like, that was the easy, that was, like, the hell he knew. Yeah. No, absolutely. A thousand percent. So, on October 2nd, they got the place on North Rampart Street. Um, and kind of with their sob story about Katrina and their landlord fucking them over... This new guy gives them the keys before they even sign a lease. And uh, this apartment was above this, like, famous voodoo priestess's house. And this is where I, like, kind of brought it up in the beginning, where some people want to say that, like, this is about voodoo. And they'll say that, like, he ate her and a demon possessed him and they were cursed. And, like, it. I wish it was that easy. Like, I really do wish it was that easy. It would be such a cooler story if that was it. But that had nothing to do with it. Like, that's a lazy way of saying a disgusting, horrific, gruesome tragedy happened because we once again ignored people who are suffering with abuse and trauma and PTSD and war. Like, it's literally, that's what that is. Yeah, it's just a scapegoat. Like, oh yeah, they moved, like a voodoo demon possessed him and... That it was because those two chose to live in this apartment and it has nothing to do with us. We can all wipe our hands clean. Yeah, that's literally it. Also, even bringing in the tragedy of Katrina and what it did to the people who lived there and were trying to survive. Like, there's so many deeper layers of conversation the world is not willing to have about how this happened that it is a lot easier to just put the, like, supernatural stamp on this that, like, voodoo demon. Like, and how dare you also disrespect 
the voodoo religion in NOLA that has done nothing but bring like kind of these, I don't want to say fun, but like uh, anti-Christian wholesomeness to a community that has been constantly ignored by its, its government and country. Like all that these voodoo priestesses do is bring economic growth and stimulus to the communities they're in and give some sort of like hope and happiness to these marginally disenfranchised communities. Like how dare you put this white fucking nonsense yeah. on that shit. Well, you know what I mean? It's one of the few, I mean, it's one of the few places that at least the religion hasn't, I mean, it's white, it is whitewashed and industrialized and used for, um consumerism Commercial but, and consumerism but for sure. at least it's still there if i mean imagine if a voodoo place popped up in utah like it, a true one yeah it would be it would be treated as a novelty probably yeah. and like a for funsies place but at least here it it's revered and it's part of the culture yeah and uh yeah and i, I think like i don't even want to bring up her name like this specific voodoo priestess because she's like a genuine pillar of that community and when all this came crashing down on her like it hurt like mm-hmm. it hurt her not as a businesswoman but as a community leader and that's, that's not, not fair, fair. What, what happened to her because, because of what happened, happened to this couple is, is not fair because they're bad journalists who want to make a clickbait headline. It's not cool, like, at all. Like, what happened to her and her reputation and her business and her religion and her community because of being attached to this story. So, anyway. Yeah, all voodoo really is is just a religion of amulets and charms, and it's for, like, healing, protection, mm-hmm. guidance, yeah. like, keeping connection with their loved ones. And anytime you have that kind of stuff that deals with the dead, people try to, like make it evil yeah yeah Yeah, no for sure so so two days later after getting that apartment literally two days abby demands a lease um in her name only and she's flipping out like all up in this dude's face like all up in the landlord's face like screaming six month lease just me like fuck you literally she's popping off so hard that he just like writes it what i'm assuming is on a fucking napkin he just writes it boom okay bye no more than like five ten minutes later zach calls and is like hey man like I'm fucked now because she's kicking me out and I fronted all the money and you just wrote her name on that fucking lease. Like, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. He paid the two months rent. Yeah. Like the first and last month's rent. Yeah. And he then paid she everything. popped off. Yep. Exactly. And the landlord went to like go confront them and be like, hey, you guys. But they were like, they were in the stairway of their apartment screaming violently like that guttural spit flying out of your mouth vein popping out she's screaming about him cheating on her with like another man and that's when the landlord's like oh i'm I'm a head out i'm a head out this ain't this ain't for me this isn't my fight uh no thanks and And it's this fight that triggers the meow yeah i would definitely agree to that so a lot of people look at this case like surface value and they go why would he do that and there's no excusing it like don't fucking get it twisted there's no excusing what he did it was fucking disgusting it was horrific what happens later is even worse but this is the trigger pathway just like any other big time serial killer even though this was um his first murder and only murder um there was there's a path that you can see there's this that soup that goes in to broil into why this person is the way they are and even though it's a destructive and incorrect thought line like you can still see the exact path of escalation that took them to where they did 
and it, you can agree that it's not okay and it's not right it's not justified but kind of murder mathematically this is where it starts was yeah. this fight and you also have to think like at this point zach had fronted that money because he wanted a place to be like when he and Addie fought and she was getting physical with him he would just leave and if he didn't have a place to crash on or a couch to sleep at he was sleeping in abandoned houses across nola which were kind there were a lot because it was after katrina so he was like literally homeless and you can't be being a vet and homeless is a whole other conversation of fear and Mm -hmm. ptsd triggering things um and also trying to be a father yeah. And homeless is not, that's not con- conducive to anything happening. Um, so I think a lot of this was, he was trying to be a better dad. He needed a place to live. He knew that he couldn't do it on his own. Um, he was, but you know, this, and also the whole struggle of like kind of coming to terms with his sexuality and being violently outed in a horrible and insulting and embarrassing and inappropriate way. Um, struggling with his own addictions and then this happens where he's literally she has bested him she's bested mm-hmm. him yeah she got his money got him off the lease and said get the fuck out and he snapped he absolutely fucking snapped and they fought non-stop all day all night until around coroners think um around midnight on october 4th 2006 when Zach strangled Addie to death. And in his confession, he says, she was trying to steal this apartment. She wouldn't shut the fuck up. I strangled her calmly. She was gone quick. And he blacked out for the rest of the night, woke up, and went to work. Uh, And he also, like, and then after he goes to work, the whole time he's just kind of like, kind of chill but he is acting very weird um he's asking his friend jack to take a trip to asia with Mm -hmm. them and people are kind of making the commentary of like he seemed on edge and uh he comes home and rapes the rapes her body like over and over and over and over again so um in his confession he wrote Oh, well, I guess to back it up a teeny bit, when he went to work, people were, like, kind of asked because he looked disheveled and awful because mm-hmm. he was fucking just murdered his girlfriend and went to work and didn't sleep, blacked out. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah. And also, yeah, you know, like, Addie and I are done. She packed up her shit. She moved back to North Carolina. And, like, a few people were like, oh, I guess because she threatened it all the time. But a few people were like, that's not, I don't. I don't believe that fully. So after that night where he works and is kind of low-key questioned, um, he said, after sexually defiling the body a few times, I was posed with the question of how do I dispose of the corpse? And um, with people questioning what had happened and with him being an absolute fucking psychopath, he knew he had to do something with her body. So he dragged her into the bathtub and said... I got a saw and hacked off her feet, hands, and head. I put her head in the oven after giving it an awful haircut and put her hands and feet in water on the stove. I was to be off all weekend, so I had all the time to work, but found myself in bars coked out with different girls. 
Yeah, he uh he was just drinking and hooking up with women. He did give his uh ex $600 in child support, but that was probably kind of like literally all the money that he had giving it to his kids and also fuck him for giving her a shitty haircut like that's just such a last fuck you, you yeah know? and the way that he wrote it like this is those were quotes from his confession because he wrote out a giant confession um and he literally just said like i put her head i put her head in the oven after giving her an awful haircut like yeah. that's fucking ridiculous like you're you're a fucking monster like that's so disgusting and like not only was he um like participating in necrophilia before numerous times which some people who try to like break down the purpose of necrophilia feel it's like it kind of boils down to um humiliation of that person and wanting to get power over that person um there's a person that obviously does it because they think like that's the only type of affection they can receive um or are attracted to that type of affection but i think for his case it was um it was supposed to be humiliating to her like desecration of her as a person and then empowerment to himself yeah and he totally knew that she had been raped as a child so just that one last like you know like reduction in her power Mm -hmm. of him and Mm -hmm. And then after he does all this, he saws the rest of her arms and legs off and he puts them in roasting pans in the oven with her head. And yeah. he's just cooking it. And it's kind of hard to say, but some reports say that they saw, like, um, when cops came to the scene, they saw um, carrots and celery chopped up on a chopping board next to the stove. And her body parts were kind of cooked in different, like cooked on the oven cooked on the stove and left in the refrigerator and then some were left out back but and like the ones that were in the oven were pretty charred so and uh when they found her head boiling on the stove like um flesh had been removed from bone at that point so there's no proof that there was cannibalism but you know yeah you know if you're gonna fuck a dead body why wouldn't you eat it is all i'm saying so october 10th Zach phones Lana and asks if she would meet him at a bar, and she says, fuck no. So, I don't know what his purpose of meeting her there would be. Maybe to confess. Who knows, because October 17th is when he writes the five-page suicide note, and he spray-paints the walls in his apartment with, please call my wife, I love her, I'm a total failure, look in the oven, please help me stop the pain. And also burns himself 28 times. One one burn for each year he's alive. And he... So, like, in the spray painting across the walls, he also put, like, a giant arrow to the pot on the stove in Mm -hmm. which her head had been boiled. And then after this, he walks to the Omni Royal, which is a hotel. Four-star hotel, mind you. Very beautiful. Like, eight to ten stories, I think. Yeah, and spends a whole day drinking. Just after 8 p.m., hotel surveillance spots him on the roof, and then he jumps off jumps off six stories onto the parking structure below um he lands face up and um cops immediately go to the scene um honestly they weren't expecting much because after katrina suicide is pretty prevalent unfortunately um as far as gruesomeness his body was kind of unscathed besides the blood coming out of his mouth and ears he wasn't really mangled um they searched his body and in his front right pocket they found his dog tags that, you know, said it was Zach Bowen and a letter that stated, you know, yeah, it this, says 
I have it. Do you have it? No, you have it. Read it. This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol car to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, and a full signed confession from myself, Zach Bowen. And that's when they patrol cars immediately went to the Rampart apartment. Um, they said that the, there wasn't really a stench. It kind of smelled when they got inside, but there wasn't really a stench um, because he had the AC blasting. Like, like 60 degrees. Yeah, like 60 degrees to stop the smell. Um, the house was kind of a disheveled mess of boxes and beer cans and cigarettes and drugs and spray paint on the walls leading them to the scenes in the kitchen, which were Addie's body chopped up and cooked. And there was... According to his autopsy, there was no evidence of cannibalism, which so, I don't know. I don't know either. Who's to say? So why, what, what do you think? Is this a case of like, I, so it sounds like you think this guy was on the path to becoming a serial killer. Yeah. I don't know. I think that Addie would have been the only person he killed. Well, and that's where it kind of like turns. So. I don't, I think that there, I don't know if there is a term and if there is, I apologize, but I think there should be a term for someone who is, um, everything about them was giving that serial killer soup to where they were always going. The path to them was always taking another person's life always. Mm -hmm. Um, and just one potentially, you know what I mean? Um, kind of like Ed Gein in a way, because Ed Gein didn't kill, like he killed one person. He killed, Mm -hmm. um, the bartender because she reminded him of his mom but that was it that was the only person he killed other than that he was picking up dead bodies to make fucking lampshades out of genuinely Mm -hmm. i think that zach bowen was a version of him like he was always on the path of being a fucked up individual and there had to be one special circumstance circumstance that lit the fuse yeah and it was messy always just like ed gein knew that he was gonna get caught when he killed her yeah. Zach knew that he was going to get caught when he killed her, like, mm-hmm. and acted almost poised about it and chose to take his life in the end. Whereas Ed Gein kind of wrote it out because I think he was just too dull to even realize that killing himself was an option. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting that, like, even looking into this case about, like, the voodoo shop conspiracy and things like that, but it just seems so painfully obvious that dude was just really fucking sick and he mm-hmm. was a drug addict mm-hmm. and he was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and he was very mentally not there yeah it's kind of fun to kick around the idea that like but that's just our dumb fucking ape brains right that are like we can't even comprehend people just being purely evil so like we have to like put evil inside of the story to let us accept the narrative yeah because if he would have just killed her i mean i know this is horrible to say that it would have been like yeah i can see that he snapped but it's the elevation of the violence afterwards right like the um the necrophilia the necrophilia the chopping up the body and then cooking it yeah that's the fucked up part Mm -hmm. and i know that i don't know don't quote me and say oh she doesn't think murder's fucked up but you know, sometimes you can, like, people snap. You're like, oh, shit, I yeah. can see it. That was really yeah. wrong, though. You've seen Murder, She Wrote, and you're like, I get it. Yeah. It's I like, get it. Yeah, it's like, oh, this dude was sick. I mean, you hear about people killing people all the time. They're like, oh, someone died in, like, a crime of passion. That's why we have a name for it. Yeah, literally. Uh, I don't know what made him fucking cook her, though. 
I don't know what that was about. The corpse by raping it. I think that that was about him being a fucking psychopath and wanting to degrade her. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it was probably the first time in his whole entire relationship with her where he felt powerful, genuinely, because she beat the fucking shit out of him. She beat the shit out of him physically and verbally, and he took it. Um, Took it and ran, came back, took it and ran, came back. And that was the first time when he finally snapped. And in his confession, he talks about being completely calm as he strangles her to death. Yeah. That was the first fucking time he ever felt powerful. Yeah. He went back into that, like, stoic self. Yeah. And, th- I mean, that's, like, the creepy part when you realize how many other times could he have snapped. And mm-hmm. then it wasn't until he saw maybe, like, the potential of violence when he went to war. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's lucky that his ex-wife didn't go and meet him because God knows what he would have wanted to do to her because yeah. she took his power away, too, just yeah. by being, like, an assertive woman yeah. and getting her own. No, 100%. So. so it's a tough one. It's a weird case. And I think that's why not a lot of people talk about it because it's easy to dismiss and tuck away as like the weird voodoo killings, even calling it the Katrina cannibal case, which is how you'll find this on like even a history channel documentary, yeah. like episode of like haunted history. This is called the Katrina cannibal and it's over centralized. And it, that's why it becomes dismissive because at the core of this story is the you know the shit that no one wants to talk about yeah it should more be that that suffering from ptsd is skewed and fucked over by the military and he takes it out on his shitty girlfriend takes it out on shitty girlfriend who was also abused and neglected and they were both left to starve and die and suffer in a natural disaster in which their own city and state didn't give a fuck about them for like yeah, you know a, it was a perfect storm it really One was might say so um anyway that's the katrina cannibal yep. or the story of zach and Addie. not a famous myspace person not not a scene queen not she could be but anyway hail satan uh hail building your house above sea level hail hail that a thousand times